the Gubby Gubby are the traditional custodians of the lands we record this podcast on. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, as they hold the memories, tradition and culture of this land. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Hello and welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, where those who have needed blood thank the donors who have saved, prolonged or improved their lives. My name is Kate Fisher. I'm the creator of Milkshakes for Mali, which has grown so far beyond this podcast now to become a blood donation advocacy movement. I'm inspired by my seven-year-old daughter, Marley, who started receiving life-saving blood products when she was just three. Marley will be dependent on blood donors for the rest of her life. As for her, blood products are life-saving when she relapses and life-preserving for every infusion in between. This podcast is the creative solution to a social problem, which is persistent critical blood shortages in Australia, as not enough people donate. One in three Australians will need blood in their lifetime, and yet only about one in 30 eligible Australians donate. It's my mission to change that, while thanking as many blood donors as I can reach along the way. Those who have been following along on the Milkshakes for Mali socials will see that I've had a huge month. Um, I was thrilled to be given the opportunity on stage in the Red Circle at TEDx Brisbane as one of the 62nd pitch finalists, taking home an honourable mention in an extraordinarily strong field. It was really incredible to share the importance of blood donation on a TEDx stage. And I know that many of the people who heard me speak um, that morning have gone on to book blood donations, um, some for the first time, some after a break from donating for a little while. And that's what this movement has really always been all about. It's about thanking the donors who have saved Marley's life um, and telling the stories of other people who have been impacted by blood donors um, with the hope of recruiting some new blood donors along the way. The other very exciting thing um, has been doing the cover reveal for the Milkshakes for Marley book um, and opening up for pre-orders. We have a limited online-only release. Um, we're doing a print run in the lead up to Christmas. Um, the books will be available from late January um, that you'll be able to purchase them in stores, but they will only be available online just with the time constraints in the lead up to Christmas. So if you would like a copy um, to read on your Christmas break, um, to have it under your Christmas tree or to order it as a Christmas gift, please order it now to avoid disappointment. I'm asking people to consider buying a book for one in three of the people they would normally buy a gift for to reflect the one in three Aussies who will need blood or blood products in their lifetime. So think Secret Santa, school teachers, um, that family member that you have been assigned to buy a present for and you just can't think of anything Um, end of season, coach presents, really anyone that's on your list that you don't have an idea for, anyone who is a book lover or is a lover of Australian stories um, or anyone that you just don't want to brave the shops for really, um, save the money that you would usually buy on a token box of chocolates, some smelly bath wash or hand cream or a bottle of wine and invest it in supporting blood donation advocacy instead Um, and my mission to end persistent critical blood shortages in Australia and around the world. 
Um, the book is based on the interviews I've conducted for this podcast. Of course, there will be some extra bits in there that people have never heard that they will get to read um, and some additional content as well, particularly on Marley's story and the journey of our family. Um, but it's a, just a collection of extraordinary Australian stories um, that detail the way that blood donors have impacted lives. I'm very proud of it um, and the people that have had their eyes on it already have given some incredible feedback and I just can't wait to get it out into the world. Um, so on that note, I want to take this opportunity to thank the incredible Sally Hepworth, uh, Lise and Sarah, Headley Thomas and Trent Dalton um, for all indulging me and allowing me to piggyback off their book launches in the last month and to share my book and my work with their audiences. They're all such incredible Australian authors and I respect them all so much. And it's been such a thrill to be allowed to have a microphone at their events or to share my work, um, giving out how to order cards for the pre-order um, and then, then having them share that back through their own socials and through their own communities. Um, I'm just so deeply grateful to them for joining me in my blood donation advocacy. And I adore having them all as members of the Milkshakes for Marley community. So thank you so much to all of you. Um, yeah, your support has been incredible. The book is available for pre-order directly through me at milkshakesformarley.org. Um, or through my publisher, KMD Books. I will pop a link to both of these in the show notes um, or just head to my Instagram or Facebook pages. There's also links there on how to order. And now on with today's episode. Molly Dawson was just 17 years old when she unexpectedly became reliant on Australian blood donors. Having just finished school, she expected to be planning her 18th birthday, schooly celebrations, considering university, or maybe enjoying a gap year of travel, backpacking, or Kentucky tours. But she had a lump near her collarbone, and although it had previously been dismissed as innocuous by medical professionals, Molly was persistent in trusting her intuition and having it removed and tested. Molly joins me today to talk about the realities of cancer treatment, the challenges of having a complex and life-threatening medical condition when you live in a rural or regional area in Australia, and the incredible impact that blood transfusions had on her quality of life and her cancer treatment. I hope you enjoy my chat with Molly Dawson. Okay, um, so today on the Milkshakes for Marley podcast, we have the incredible Molly Dawson, who was a nominated guest, and she really epitomizes so much of what I wanted to achieve through creating this podcast. And it's not just talking about um, the trauma, injury, or illness um, for the reason people have needed blood products, but it's all the incredible things that they go on to do with their life after they have received these products. Um, and Molly is just such an incredible example of that. So I welcome you to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast and community. Hi, how are you? This is so exciting. <laughs> so exciting. You've done so many incredible things. How old are you now? So I just turned 22 um, a couple of weeks ago, actually. So yeah. I um, was 17 when I needed um, blood products. So it's been a little while now. Yeah. So tell me about what your life looked up like in the lead up. Um, to knowing that you were going to need the blood products. So pre-getting sick, what did your life look like and what did you expect your next couple of years to look like? 
I had just graduated high school, you know, kind of on top of the world, um, that invincible feeling, I think, being 17, um, you know, just got a car, just got a new job for my gap year, just went to schoolies, you know, all the, all the fun, stereotypical teenage things. I was looking forward to my gap year um, before heading off to uni, um, living the dream, really. Um, and then, you know, it kind of all came crashing down and I got a bit of a reality check for that year. So it all kind of snowballed. Um, from that moment yeah. So tell me about the first indications that something wasn't quite right when we did you start to become concerned that you might be unwell? Yeah so I often sit kind of with my hand resting around my neck collarbone um, area and it was in January of 2019 I just felt a little lump um, kind of just above my collarbone that wasn't the same on both sides and instantly mm-hmm. I kind of had this weird gut feeling and I was like, something is not right. So I booked a GP appointment straight away and literally went like the next day. And they told me it was fine. Like, don't worry about it. Um, you know, you've probably just been sick. And I was like, I haven't been sick. Like, you know, like, nah, nah, it's fine. Um, and then I ended up actually telling one of my really good friends at the time who um, then was also really good friends with another guy whose dad was a surgeon. Um, and she literally just mentioned it to them in like a conversation. And he immediately was like, nah, this something's wrong because um, I hadn't been sick and all sorts of other things. And then it kind of escalated from there, um, did um, biopsy, like needle biopsies, ultrasounds. Nothing was coming up. It was kind of all looking fine. And then I still had this weird feeling and I just asked my surgeon to just cut it out. I was like, I just want to know. I don't care if there's a scar, just get rid of it. And that's when mm-hmm. I was told a week later um, that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of blood cancer. So I was diagnosed and that's kind of, you know, when it all happened, you know, being 17 and being diagnosed with cancer definitely wasn't something that I thought was on the cards for me. I'm sure anyone who's in that position doesn't really think that that's going to happen to them. So it was pretty, pretty terrifying at that point. And quite a unique response from you at that age. You know, you've just finished school. You've got all of these big plans. You feel pretty invincible at that stage in your Absolutely. life. The way that your brain development is, you're not usually good at assessing level of risk in that way. Um, was there any previous experience in your life or anything that made you really advocate or you just trusted your intuition and your gut and just really wanted to get it sorted out? Honestly, no one in my family that I know of has had cancer. I don't know anyone close to me that had had cancer or kind of anything along those lines either. I just felt this like gut feeling straight away that something was actually wrong. Um, so I just went to the doctor straight away. I've always kind of, um, I've never been afraid um, of the doctor to just, you know, go, I'm, you know, feeling a bit sick, you know, what's going on let's fix it instead of just waiting until maybe something will be better. So I'm very glad that I did that um, because it could have been a very different story um, if I just left it and then it just kept growing and getting worse. So um, definitely trust your gut is kind of um, a big thing that I do now as well. um, And I think we'll continue to do forever. Absolutely. So where were you living at the time that this happened? Yeah, so I lived in Bundaberg um, throughout my high schooling years. And I just graduated. So I was still at home with my parents and my two brothers, my younger brothers, and we were at home um, in Bundy, you know, for the next year or so. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen. So regional. Um, so, you know, obviously from kind of that point, I had to be, I guess, shipped away uh, down to Brisbane um, to do all of those treatments and 
everything that came with it. And for anyone who's listening to the podcast um, who is and one of our international listeners or even someone who lives in Australia, it's so hard to understand the scale of Queensland. Like it's a real Yes, <laughs> yes it's huge. <laughs> in the southeast pocket, then you are a very long way from those services and so many of those you know rural and regional services just don't have the same access as to what you would have in Brisbane so you had thought that um you would be having a nice quiet year a gap year a bit of travel all of those things um yeah like relatively country area yeah Um, yeah. and you've been in Brisbane so of that year um you have written about 61 bags of chemotherapy comprised of 11 different drugs, um, a pick line, blood transfusion, PET and CT scans, baldness, um, and lots of blood products along the way. Certainly not the way that you were imagining your gap year. Tell me about what it felt like during that time. I mean, even still now, it's almost four years that I'm in remission, which is super exciting. Um, I was actually just talking about, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was actually just talking to my roommate about it last night, that it honestly doesn't feel real. And yeah. it feels like a little blip in time that didn't actually happen. Like I was so sick. I was, every time I was in chemo, I would see, you know, older people come in and then they'd be able to walk out of their chemotherapy where I was like in and out of consciousness, always in a wheelchair. Um, you know, my life was just awful. I l- literally thought I was going to die um, yeah. every single day because I would go to bed um, at the Leukemia Foundation. I was staying with my mum. She looked after me during that time. And, she, you know, I'd get home from chemo. I'd lay um, in my bed. You know, mum would go into the kitchen or um, wherever she'd um, go in that little apartment. And there was, a, there was points every single night for that whole period that I would lay there and I was too weak to reach for my phone, to call or text my mum, to even call out for her or anything. And I would just sit there and I was like, I feel like I'm going to die if I go to sleep. I can't sleep, but you are so exhausted that all you can do is sleep. So you'd feel every single inch, centimetre of your body just fighting. I could feel like every cell in my body, which is a really kind of weird to explain could feel it all the way to my toes and I just had to fall asleep and hope that I would wake up in the morning and you couldn't even cry because you're that exhausted it was just got nothing left and you know you wake up and you're like okay all right I did that and then you got to go back to the hospital for another round of chemo and it's just never ending every night same thing and you know it really takes a toll um on you as a human being um even now um I got very lucky throughout that time I didn't really suffer um too much with my mental mental health I had the most amazing friends and family and community around me that really um made that a possibility for me so I felt very very blessed and very lucky but I do know that it can it can really um get people down not just physically obviously but that mental battle is huge um in a cancer journey when you say you felt like you were going to die physically, obviously, yep. during that time. And thank you for describing that so candidly because I think that will be so validating for other people that listen to this episode and have been through a similar thing to put those words around 
the way that they felt during that time yeah. is such an incredibly empowering thing with that sense of community and hearing someone else articulate your experience. So I really appreciate that. And I know that it must be tough to talk about some of those nights, but yeah, I think of course, it was yeah. for our community to hear that. Did they give you an initial prognosis or an idea of what your future may look like? Like how far were they able to look forward with your yeah. initial diagnosis? Look, it was a bit um, like touch and go. They couldn't really tell me an exact time frame kind of when I was diagnosed. Um, all I knew is that the um, lymphoma that I had, um, it was actually growing really quickly and really rapidly. So I had to start chemo pretty quick. So I couldn't do um, any like egg um like take any of my eggs or anything like that. So it's kind mm-hmm. of just like, pause your life. You've got to do treatment now and go and sit in the hospital mm-hmm. and be bald and the whole thing. Um, but it was pretty much like, if you don't start treatment, you know, you probably won't live if we don't get this sorted. Um, and then I did like three months of ABVD um, chemotherapy, um, which I'm sure some people know about if they're listening. Um, and then- And I'll from- pop a link in our show notes to any of yeah. the, just to remind our listeners, this is not a medically or scientifically correct podcast. Absolutely, um, absolutely. <laughs> we'll pop links to anything in here, um, in our show notes of anything that might not be clear as to exactly what Molly means, but this is her story and I'll let her tell it authentically. Yeah, so I did like three months of ABVD roughly. Um, and then it was like two days before I turned 18. Um, they told me, you know, it's like working, but not really well enough. You're going to have to escalate your treatment. Um, they kind of gave me two options. They're like, look, this one is like a 70% chance survival rate, or this one's like 90% chance survival rate. But this one's really, really bad, but it will work better. Um, so I ended up doing that one because the 90% yeah. one was better than 70. Um, so I took that. Um, and it was called beer cop and it was gnarly it was really um, really knocked me around and I just turned 18 and I was just so sick um, but you know um, I then did um, radiation as well um, but then I was put into remission so I'm very lucky I know for a lot of people um, it doesn't go that way and it can be a very long painful journey um, I'm lucky that I kind of reacted pretty well um, well, my body responded pretty well to that chemotherapy at that point that I could, mm-hmm. you know, move on with my life. And look, now here I am 22 and like my hair is super long and um, I feel <laughs> I feel so lucky every single day. Um, and the moments where like I might be having a bad day, um, which everyone has, it just is what it is. Um, I go, look, it's not as bad as any of the days you had in 2019. So stop it. And, you know, it's a really good reality check, um, I think, for me as well to um, keep going. Yeah. So um, our little girl has a functional neurological Mm. disorder. She has a brain injury. Um, She has lots of challenges that she faces. She does live aspects of a normal childhood that are amazing. You know, she's at school up to four hours a day, four days a week now. Um, And we, you know, spend lots of time in rehab and, you know, there's still lots of ongoing medical stuff that Mm. she has. And we have really tough days with that, but it's amazing that people are like, we don't know how you do it. We don't know how, you know, and we say all the time, you know, she's well within her rights to be a complete asshole with everything that she has. I love that. That's so good. Most beautiful, (laughs) like most grateful kid that you would ever Mm. meet. And it, you know, I think it just gives you such a sense of perspective when you have stared down as a parent for our child, but you as yourself, you know, your own 
mortality and everything else compared to that really just doesn't matter all that much like oh, it's not just absolutely, that absolutely. tough days or whatever but it really yep. gives you a much different sense of you know what is the end of the world and when yeah. you have looked at what actually could be the end of your world mm-hmm. I really um after my treatment as well you know I was 18 so I like really actually quite struggled just hanging out with my friends yeah. um after that point um you know I was still kind of reliving everything that had just happened like oh. that was some crazy nightmare um it was amazing my friends were amazing and they uh, extraordinary um but I remember just sitting in a room with them sometimes and I would just be like I can't be here because I'll just be talking about normal things like normal yeah. problems that an 18 year old has I was like this is irrelevant Actually, um so I had to really it was really hard at that point I had to really flip that perspective and kind of go they are so lucky that that is their problem and it's not bigger um even nowadays like when people are complaining about something I'm like I'm so happy for them that that is their problem (laughs) and like it's not something bigger because um you know I've seen I've seen some really big problems you know even from my end like watching other people in the hospital um their journeys being so much worse than mine as well um that whole perspective change had to happen pretty quick and obviously being so young um, and feeling pretty invincible as you know as a teenager it was quite difficult but even now um, I think it's very important that people can have small problems and that's so good like keep your yeah. problems small like that. Like you, yeah <laughs> I know crazy. you don't want to have you don't want to have big problems um, you really, that like really I experience or you um, experience as well so um, mm-hmm. yeah I felt that was really difficult too coming out of that journey um, the post, um, post cancer, post chemo, part of it I don't think is talked about too much. Um, it's always like, oh, like everyone knows, like when you have chemo, you're sick, and then this happens and this happens. But the experience after a cancer journey takes a long time. Um, even now, I still feel completely different to who I was beforehand, and that's not a bad thing. But it's also like not the greatest thing either. So yeah. And I think that's a little bit about the people around you as well, that it's so overwhelming for them to think about you going through an experience like that. And it's like, they're like, okay, you better now let's move on. Like they don't know how to interact in that next phase. It's like, there's no narrative for supporting someone through that post trauma. And especially because you were at such a transitional phase in your life as well, you were, you know, coming out of your teenage years into becoming an adult and, you would have yeah. had that time away and then come back into your community and your family and mm-hmm. everything, having had this enormous life experience, but also having missed out on so many of the experiences yeah. that you would in your late teens and early 20s Absolutely. because there was lots of experiences that you couldn't have. I just want to touch yeah. back on something that you mentioned earlier about not being able to have eggs frozen um and that has actually popped up in the media quite a bit lately about not being able to have you know egg retrieval or semen frozen in rural and regional areas and how much that can impact on the rest of your life is there any chance that you might still be able to have children in the future or is that something that's not a possibility for you now yeah it definitely I'm very lucky um it definitely is a possibility for me thank gosh um but it was you know it was definitely uh it might be it might not be we'll find out kind of after your cancer experience Mm -hmm. Um, but the hospital in Brisbane that I was treated at were amazing I had these injections called Zolodex um that they would give me every like three weeks roughly um Mm -hmm. and they really like 
I mean, it put me into menopause and I was like 17. So that was awful, but like, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> that, was, that was not fun. Um, but yeah, it kind of just like paused, I guess, my ovaries in time so the chemo wouldn't react um, to them. So that was, you know, I feel like probably why I'm still able to have kids, um, which I'm very grateful for. But, you know, again, it's a um, scenario like now, I guess I'm like um, regular people except have a little bit um, less of a chance because like the chemo has definitely damaged um, a lot of my eggs and things. But mm -hmm. I know for a lot of people, I have friends who went through chemo and they can't have kids now. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's that um, my doctor said, he's like, if we don't start your treatment within the next three weeks and it takes at least four weeks to do your egg retrieval, you're going to switch oh, from being favorable to cure to unfavorable. And I was like, I don't like that word unfavorable. So I'm just going to, let's just do chemo um, and try and save my life before I think about um, like creating another life um, because, you know, I need me. Um, to bear that yeah. and think about to do that what incredibly big decisions to have to make at the age of yeah. 17 well like yeah. you couldn't you know you should have been thinking about you know choosing a university or what country yeah. you're going to on your gap year or you know what you were going to wear to your 18th birthday party and if you were going to kiss the boy that was there or do you know what I mean I know. like those I know. Things that yeah. you're saying other people talked about before that that you know, they're the things that you should have been concentrating on, yeah. not whether to choose to freeze your eggs and yeah, some yeah. really big decisions. And again, it's, I have to make the decisions as well. Um, obviously I'm sitting in meetings with my hematologist who's absolutely amazing. I love that man with every single inch <laughs> of my being. He saved my life. So how could I not? Yeah. Uh, we also have the same birthday, which is pretty cute. But I, <laughs> like he was extraordinary, but again, he was just there to advise and I still mm. had to make the choice on which treatment I was going to go down or mm -hmm. what like I wanted to do and I had I had no idea what I was talking about I was 17 um yeah. and obviously my mum was there as well but I was still the one that had to choose in the driver's um, which, seat yeah, yeah absolutely which terrifying yeah yeah and that would be so difficult you know from the perspective of a mum as well that you are on that precipice of adulthood you know, making mm -hmm. decisions about your whole life, it would be really hard to just hold space for your child in that position to be able to make that decision. But also mm -hmm. so important when you are for your mental health, but also your physical health, yeah. being empowered to make decisions about your own treatment journey as mm -hmm. well is so yeah. clearly shown to have such significant outcomes in your treatment. Yeah, yeah. So just so important. Yeah. Let's focus on all of the incredible things that you have gone on to do with your life oh. in <laughs> because when you were nominated to do this episode I did a bit of a light touch and had a bit of a look and went my god this chick's amazing let's get her on the podcast <laughs> and when I started to research oh. it the impact that you're having on the world is just phenomenal so I'll let you explain them a little bit but you are a champion for the Sony Foundation You Can initiative, hoping to close the gap for 15 to 25-year-olds with cancer. You've done work with Lifeblood. You're the national face of Relay for Life, which aims to raise money for the Cancer Council and honour people affected by cancer. You are remarkable. I'm sure there is other <laughs> things that I haven't picked up on yet. And you are now a member of the Milkshakes for Mali community. Hell yeah. <laughs> Why? Tell me about what has drawn you to this advocacy. And is this mm -hmm. something that you could have seen yourself doing had cancer not touched your life, like maybe for a different cause? But were yeah. you an advocate 
before this happened or is this something you're now drawn to? I feel like because of my experience, I've definitely become really drawn to um, trying to create awareness in any shape or form. Um, like today, talking to you um, <laughs> for more like blood pr product wise, or like you mentioned, I, I've done a little bit kind of here, there and everywhere. Um, yeah. And for me, I have lost um, a few people throughout the cancer journey. You know, you do make friends um, and they can and do pass away. Um, so it was more of a well there's not a lot of people who will go through this journey um, and make it out alive and yes. will want to talk about it and will want to um, build awareness and things like that and I was happy to do that I was like look let's just do it as much as I can for people who can't do it and for mm -hmm. people who don't um, know anything about um, this journey especially being a really like to focus on people around my age you know like that 15 to 25 kind of um, age gap there because again like you mentioned we spoke about earlier we think we're invincible and yeah. that's so amazing and I love that we do mm -hmm. um, you know you're young um, it's your youth mm -hmm. but things can happen yeah it's important that people are aware that things can happen and creating not so much a scary around it more of a community so you know where to go you know who to talk to um you know kind of what that looks like instead of you know cancer for me when I was diagnosed I had no idea what that meant no yeah. I didn't I didn't even know chemo came through a drip mm. I had no clue um so kind of building a little bit of awareness um in all sorts of aspects mm. you know through um stuff with lifeblood I've been able to do some things there through universities um I do I'm a national ambassador for canteen um, which again focuses on youth um, and also they do amazing work um, even just within the counselling um, and creating programs and all sorts mm -hmm. of things around Australia yeah. and then with the Sony Foundation they really helped me during my journey as well um, they now have You Can Stay which is like free accommodation for um, regional patients which is oh, extraordinary such a difference. Yeah, amazing and obviously Cancer Council we all know the amazing work that they do. And I was, yeah, blessed uh, to be a face of Real Life for Life for um, two years to, you know, build up again that awareness and get those donations in and keep um, fighting for people who might not have a voice or might mm. not want to talk about their journey because it is terrifying and it's mm. awful and there's no mm. denying that it is an absolutely horrendous experience in every shape mm. and form. But I felt like I could talk about it and I almost left my story for other people and removed myself from it so that I can talk about it it's not just mine now it is so many other people's and um so many like moments like this where I kind of sit and I think about it um, as I'm answering your question kind of you know I have um been very lucky to hear from lots of people that just my words have made a difference for them which is all I could ever ask for and kind of why I keep doing it because it's just so hard for me to keep reliving it and there's no yeah, like that's is. just that's yeah it's so hard but mm. I feel empowered by people saying that to keep going mm. and do what I can in the cancer world because it's a very very big and scary place yeah I am so grateful for how candid you have been in this episode today and as I said earlier it is really going to make a difference for a lot of our listeners and I really deeply appreciate you going back Thank into you. those scary places um, and sharing with us what you have. I've got two final questions. Yay. First one is, 
What does it feel like to have a blood transfusion? Oh my gosh. I seriously, I was in a wheelchair for like, I think it was three, four months, pretty much every day. I couldn't, it felt like I'd walk from my bedroom to the fridge at one point to get like water if my mum was busy in the shower or something. And I was so out of breath that I'd sit on the floor and I was like, I'm going to faint. This is just awful. I couldn't do it. And I just thought that that's how it was going to be throughout my whole treatment. I was just like, this is just how sick and awful I'm going to feel. And I went to the hospital. Um, I remember my first one, I went to the hospital and I was so unwell. They were trying to take um, like blood from me, do a blood test. And I was just crying because I was just so exhausted. Everything was, it was the worst day ever. And um, I was finally told, yay. It was kind of like a yay. All your blood levels are low enough. We can give you some blood products, which is like such yeah. a weird yay. But anyway. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you're doing something that's going to make yeah. me feel better to do the thing. I was like, okay, sounds good. But at this point, I was, my eyes were closed. I couldn't even look at my doctor. I was that exhausted. It was awful. Within, honestly, like 20 minutes, half an hour of getting that blood product, I could speak. I was laughing. I could talk to my doctor. I walked out of the hospital which was crazy because I'd never walked down this hallway that I'd always been wheelchaired down. I remember I got home to the Leukemia Foundation and only a few weeks beforehand I'd sh like shaved my head. This hilarious video of me kind of just like almost running around um, the apartment, just like, you know, so happy. And it was just ridiculous because I'd just been so sick. But because yeah. of those blood products I received, I was on top of the world. I was like, get me the chemo tomorrow. I got this. I'm going to be so fine. Whereas beforehand, mm. I was just like fight or flight. But I was, oh, I there's like no words to describe the insane feeling that it gave me. It gave me um, hope. It gave me strength. Um, it gave me happiness. I was smiling again. I could open my eyes without feeling exhausted. I could walk to the fridge by myself and get myself a snack. Now that was a whole new level of like freedom which is just like so crazy. It was extraordinary. I, it was one of my favorite moments that happened throughout um, my treatment was that first, um, those first blood products I received, yeah. Mm. So exciting to hear that. And as a blood donor, you know, it means so much to me to hear that. And we say that, you know, about this podcast, that if you've ever been a blood donor, you can listen to an episode of this podcast and wonder if you were the one. So anyone yeah. who's done a blood donation around the time that you were sick could have been the one that gave you that gift, you know, gave Absolutely. you in that situation, gave your body a better fighting chance for the treatment to work. Um, yeah. And I just don't think that, that's just giving me goosebumps hearing that. I know, I was just about to say, I was like, that's that's so so <laughs> I hope that it was some of my blood that went into you. Yeah, you never um, know. And final question, um, do you have a message for the blood donors um, who gave blood that has been such a big part of saving your life or for anyone listening to this episode who's considering making a donation in the future? Look, I know there's so many people out there who actually can't donate blood. Like I'm a, I had blood cancer, so I'll never, ever be able to donate blood for probably a very good reason. So it's so important for those who can donate to donate because like I needed it so much your daughter needs it a lot there's mm -hmm. so many people that need blood and it's so extraordinary the change that it can make in someone it changed my entire cancer journey like out of this world um and it's so important to you know take just a little bit of time out of your day out of your week out of your month 
um, to go and donate something so precious that we all are making constantly. You know, we're just constantly making it and you can go and give it to someone and it can change. It can change their whole life. Um, could change their month, could change whatever it is. It can create such a massive difference. And that's why when you reached out to me, I was so excited to be on this podcast. I listened to a couple episodes as well. And it was just, I just love like creating a, like awareness as I guess yes. we've kind of um, um, talked about today, but especially in this area, because it's so specific mm. and it's so specific to so many people. And, you know, I'm a um, cancer survivor, but there's so many other people who need blood in just all different types of areas. It's not just cancer survivors. It's not just um, people who have been in a car accident. It's not just, you know, yeah. there's so many people that need it. And there's so, so many of us. There's so many different reasons as well. It's not so just many issues, different reasons. Yeah, so many different yeah. reasons. So it's all so right, important. Well, leave it there. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been such a beautiful, powerful episode. And we oh, adore having you, you as part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. And Yay. I'm so grateful <laughs> that blood donors have helped to save your life. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lovely little morning with you. I loved it. Thank you. We had some technical challenges with this recording. So unfortunately, there is no video to share through our reels, through our social media. Um, we always do a reel when we do when we drop an episode, um, share a reel through Instagram. But I hope that Molly's zest for life and passion for supporting others and her deep appreciation to Australian blood donors translates through the audio in this episode. I've always wanted the focus of this pod to be all the amazing things that people go on to do with their lives after receiving blood. And Molly is just such a shining example um, of a life that the world may have missed out on if blood had not been donated to allow her transfusions. Um, it's impossible to quantify the amount of lives that she has impacted through telling her story um, and her work for the Cancer Council, Relay for Life, Lifeblood, Canteen and the Sony Foundation. And if you have ever been a blood donor, maybe you were the one who made this possible. So on behalf of Molly and all of the people that her work has benefited, thank you. And if you would like to become a donor in the future, please register your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood team. I love being able to track our donors and the impact that they have and the Australian lives that we have all saved together. So thank you for listening to this episode today and for being part of the Milkshakes for Mali community. This podcast was produced and hosted by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guest was Molly Dawson. Audio production and welcome to country by my amazing husband, Jeff Fisher. Social media assets by Jason at Strosky Media. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a friend. Make sure you're following on Instagram and Facebook and check out the website. It's milkshakesformarley, M-A-R-L-E-I-G-H dot org. And as always, I'll leave the final word to Marley. Thank you for my prize, Marley.